Let's turn over to the book of James chapter 1. Tonight I'm going to share some things with you that are just really simple, but most people have not connected the dots. It's like they have individual thoughts, but they hadn't connected all of these things together, and I think this is going to help you. This first little bit that I'm going to share is uh, that God is not the source of your temptation. It's going to tell you where temptation comes from. Then we're going to turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. And tonight I'm going to share a truth with you that is one of the most uh, important things I feel like God's ever told me. And this is just one of the foundation things that I base my life on, and it relates directly to how to overcome temptation. And it's so simple that once you see this, you're going to wonder how you ever missed it. And if you can accept this, it'll make all of the difference in your life about how to overcome temptation, how to keep yourself on track with the things of the Lord. Here in James chapter 1, in verse uh, 12, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to him that love him. Now, I hate to even bring this up, but I have to bring it up because religion has influenced us so much. Many people teach that God is the one that actually puts you through trials and temptations, hardships and things like this to make you a better person, and it's through your hardships that you improve and all of this stuff. That's not what this is saying at all. It's just saying that if you withstand the temptation and these problems and exercise your faith, you're going to be better because of it. But God's not the source of those things. And if you'd read it in context, it makes it real clear. The next verse says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. And yet the church today is saying God is one that's put these hard times in your, in your life. God's one that's given you this sickness. God's one who's done this to teach you something and all of these kind of things. And that is absolutely untrue. So he says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning." And you could add to this that every bad gift comes down from the father of the devil. Amen. The father of lies. Uh, God is the giver of good gifts. Here's real simple theology. God's good. If it's good, it's from God. If the devil's bad. If it's bad, it's from the devil. Only religion could twist it to where God is the author of sickness. God put this cancer on him because he loves you so much. I can't even figure out how people believe that stuff. I did it one time. But you have to be religious to believe that. Nobody that uses your brain would believe God is the one who's putting cancer and diseases and causing birth uh, defects and things like this. God is not the source of those things. So these scriptures make it very clear where temptation comes from. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. The NIV translation of these verses says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own carnal desires. It uses the term desires here. The word lust has uh, gotten a connotation where most people think of the word lust in the sexual content, evil type of sexual desires. And it certainly includes that, but the word lust is even used about the Holy Spirit in uh, Genesis... uh, Excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. The spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh lusts against the spirit. The word lust doesn't have to be associated with some kind of a sexual immoral desire. It's just talking about strong emotion or compassion. Uh, a strong emotion. The Holy Spirit lusts against the flesh. He is jealous for you. And so the word here, when it says that you are drawn away of your own lust and enticed... This is just saying that your desires are where sin is conceived. Now that is a strong statement and most people don't really believe this. Most Christians feel a responsibility not to do what's wrong. They don't want to commit sin. They don't want to go out and murder and steal or commit adultery. And they are trying to resist the physical actions 
But the average Christian feels no responsibility over the conception of sin. And that's what this is saying. Your sin is conceived in your emotions. If you are ever going to overcome temptation and sin, you've got to start in your emotions. And the average Christian, again, doesn't feel a responsibility here. There's many Christians. You know, if this was a typical group, I don't know if you're typical, but I've been in many churches where I've given an invitation for people, spirit-filled Christians, if you were depressed and fighting depression, and I mean, it's not just you have a fleeting thought, but if this is a problem, if you are fighting depression, I want you to come and we're going to pray for you. And I've had as many as 80 to 90% of Christians stand and come forward. Did you know that depression is an emotion? And your sin is conceived in your emotions. Most Christians don't feel responsible for controlling their emotions. They think that emotions are just a response to what's going on. If everything's going good, then I'll feel good. If everything's going bad, well, then I can't help but feel bad. That's absolutely wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 46 and 47 says that the reason the Lord brought judgment on the children of Israel is because they did not serve the Lord with joy for the abundance of all things that he had given them. He brought judgment on them because they didn't operate in joy. He held people responsible for their emotions. So here's the point I'm trying to get across. Most people don't want the birth. They don't want the action, but they allow emotions which is where sin is conceived. It's just like having a child. If you don't want to have children, simple. Don't have any physical relations, and I can guarantee you there was only one virgin birth, and you are not going to be the second one. This is just so simple, you've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. Well, it's the same thing. If you don't want to commit sin, don't get negative in your emotions. Don't allow a negative emotion in your life. Now, see, most Christians would say, well, yes, I believe, you know, like, for instance, with the abortion issue, there's a lot of people that are saying they're pro-choice and you don't take away my rights and stuff like this. Well, if you want to exercise your rights, don't have sexual relations if you don't want to have a child. But once you conceive a child, you don't have the right to take their life. And uh, most Christians would say, amen, we need to, you know, preach that, man, it's sacred and things. But then in the spiritual realm, Christians use spiritual abortion all of the time. They don't think a thing about conceiving sin in their emotions. They just try and keep from acting it out. In a sense, what they're trying to do is to have a spiritual abortion. They just allow the junk of this world, the sewage of this world to flow through them. Negative emotions, negative thoughts. They allow these things and they don't make the connection that when you have a negative emotion, you are conceiving sin. And unless something's wrong with you, there is going to come a birth sometime. And then you'll white knuckle it and resist and say, oh, I don't want to do this. How come I'm so tempted? It's because you've allowed the emotions to start and you had zero conviction or control over your emotions. If you are going to win over temptation, you've got to begin to control your emotions. I had a woman come in one time. Her husband went to my Bible college and she was a Bible college student and dropped out because she was fighting depression. And her husband was concerned. So he brought her in and I sat down and talked to her. And she was going through severe depression, even talking of suicide and things like this. And I began to start telling her that she could get free. And she says, it's not a problem. She says, I've had depression. I'm, she, she had a name for it. It wasn't bipolar, but it was some type of a, a psychological thing. And she said... I was diagnosed with this from the time I was a little girl. And she says, I've always been like this. And I just go through cycles where for a month or two I'll be like this. And then I'll get over it. And she says, everything will be okay. And she just looked at it as there was nothing wrong with it. The scripture says that sin is conceived in your desires or in your emotions. And I tried to get across to her and tell her that, you know what, you may not recognize it, but you are allowing the devil just to implant things in you that I can guarantee you, you don't want. You don't want these results. And yet she just blew it off because that's not what the world says. I know what I'm saying is contrary to what the world has to offer, but what I'm saying is the truth that you cannot entertain and allow negative emotions in your life without it uh, germinating 
and eventually trying to bring to birth emotions, I mean actions. So you've got to start dealing with this sin at the conception process. Everybody follow that? You've got to start controlling your emotion. I could preach a whole message on this. I got a 16 tape album entitled The Christian Survival Kit and about the first four or five messages are all about this, about let not your heart be troubled. That's where problems begin is if you ever let trouble into your heart, if you ever get it on the inside, it's just a matter of time until you act on it on the outside. You can 100% control your emotions. It has been 36 years since I've been depressed and I'm not going to get depressed. I don't believe in being depressed. And I've had some pretty depressing things happen. But I don't like depression, so I choose not to do it. Man, some of you are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. (laughs) You're thinking, you can't do this. Yes, you can. Otherwise, the Lord would be unjust to tell us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I believe the reason he said that is because he knew that when he said rejoice in the Lord always, people are going to say, he can't mean that. So he said it again. Again, I say rejoice. Just in case you missed this, I meant what I said. You can rejoice always. Psalms 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He told you not to let your heart be troubled. He would be unjust to give you a command that you cannot keep. You can keep it. It's alive the devil that you are just like a dog or a cat or a some other animal and you're just responding to stimuli and you can't help it. You were mistreated when you were a child and that's what made you a first class jerk. That's not true. That's not true. You may have had something happen to you, but it's the way you chose to respond to it. God gave you the ability to choose. And so you've got to start going down a few levels. Instead of just trying to deal with the action and stop the action, stop the conception and I guarantee you, you won't have a birth. I could minister on that a long, long time. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 and here's the thing. This is just going one more step. What is it that causes emotions? Most people think, well, it's what happens to you. It's this happens, if that happens, if, if somebody dies, if somebody's mad at you, if somebody rejects you, that's what causes emotions. That's not true. Because you could take, you could take a dozen different people, sit them on the front row here, expose them to identical situations, and you would get probably 12 different emotions circumstances do not just automatically cause certain emotions. You know what really causes your emotions? It's how you think about things. Each one of you have ways of thinking that determine what emotions you have. If you're an optimist, if you tend to be an optimist, well, then you could have a stock market crash and an optimist is going to say, Awesome! Everybody's selling. I'm going to buy. When this stock goes up, this is the greatest opportunity I've ever had. A pessimist is going to look at that and think, oh, the world is falling. The sky is falling. We're never going to make it. And they will sell and they will panic and they'll do things. They saw the exact same thing, but it's how they think about it that determines on what your emotion is. You can actually get to where you rejoice when negative things happen. If you understand, if you're thinking accurately... I had an instance where, you know, this uh, study Bible that I've been using right here, this one, this uh, one on the Gospels, the first time we ever printed this, uh, I forget exactly where we were, but our income was less than ten dollars or $15,000 per month, and it was going to cost me $27,000 to print the first run of this. And I mean, that was just astronomical. That was like two or three months' income. So I wrote my partners, I said... Here's what we want to do. We'll sell advanced copies to you for a real discounted price if you'll do this. And anyway, we sold this. We raised the $27,000. We gave the money to the publishers. And then one day, my manager called me in and he said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the publisher took your $27,000, the salesman did, and he skipped out. And we've lost it. And not only did we lose $27,000, but the real price to publish this is $45,000. And so we've got to come up with another $45,000. And my partners were waiting on this thing to come. And I was just, 
I mean, you know, that could have devastated me because uh, all of that added together added up to what was that, uh, $72,000 that I had just gotten ripped off. And at the time, that was seven months, eight months worth of income, and there was no way I was going to come up with this. And I mean, for just uh, a few seconds, I just kind of stood there, and then immediately I had a scripture come to my mind out of uh, Proverbs chapter 6. I forgot what verse, but around verse 22, 23, it says, If you catch a thief, he has to restore sevenfold or give all of the substance of his house to repay. And I said, man, what's seven times 72,000? And I took a piece of paper and I wrote this out. And that was 490 something thousand or something, you know. And I just got to rejoicing and I started praising God and saying, this is the best thing that ever happened. My staff thought I'd lost my mind. But I said, you hide and watch. I said, this year I'm getting back $492,000 or whatever for this. And you know what? When we finished our year and added it up, it was nearly to the dollar, $492,000 more than the other. And you know what? Same thing happens to other people, but the difference is it depends on how you think determines on what emotions you have. So controlling your thinking is the step or the layer below how you feel. If you think wrong, you're going to feel wrong. It's just that simple. If you think right, if you think the word of God, if you've got a positive mindset that God is for me, who can be against me, then you can't lose. I came up to one of my students this last week and I've been ministering to her in an area and I just said, how are you this morning? And she said, okay. And by the way she said it, you could tell something was wrong. And I said, okay, Okay's as good as you can come with. And she says, well, I'm doing all right. And I said, all right. I said, man, you're saved. You're baptized in the Holy Ghost. You're going to heaven. You're never going to go to hell. God Almighty loves you. You got him on your side. You got, and all you are is okay. She says, I need to talk to you. So anyway, I talked to her. And anyway, she had something in the natural could have looked bad. But you know, by the time I actually got time to talk to her, she says, you know what? I was just thinking wrong. She says, I was just looking at this problem and I needed to hear what you had to say. If you would think properly, there is no reason for you to gripe and complain about anything. Some of you are so negative, you'd complain if somebody slit your throat with a brand new stainless steel knife. You wouldn't see the fact that it's clean and that there's no germs on it. I mean, you got something you could praise God for regardless of what happens to you. You hadn't got a reason to be griping and complaining. Man, you are blessed, 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 blessed. You need to start thinking right. Look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 11. This is one of the greatest things God ever showed me. If you can get this, this will change your life. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 15, talking about Abraham and Sarah and how they received the promises from God. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, And in verse 15, it says, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Now, some people may not get that, but man, that is one awesome passage of Scripture. For Abraham and Sarah, God had told them to leave Ur of the Chaldees and come out, and later they would inherit a land. They were approximately 75 years old when they came into the... Abraham was 75 years old when he came into the land of Canaan. He was 100 years old when the promised seed, Isaac, was born. And he lived to be 175 years old. So for 100 years, he was acting on the Word of God. And he died never having obtained the promised land and the thing that God gave them. And this scripture is saying that if they had been mindful of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to have returned. Opportunity to return is saying they would have been tempted to disobey God, to just forget it and go back. This is linking their temptation to what they think. That's what the word mindful means. If they had been mindful, if their mind had been full of Ur of the Chaldees that they left, they would have been tempted to go back. You know, say for instance, God called some of you to move out to Colorado where I am, and so you came out there expecting everything to be wonderful, but if you got there 
and nothing began to work out. You didn't have a job. Things begin, didn't work. You know what the average person would do? You'd start thinking about, well, at least back in North Carolina, I had a decent house and a decent job and I had friends and man, I at least, and you would start thinking about what you left. And then in a short period of time, you would be desire. I wish I could go back home and you say, I want to obey God. I don't know why I feel the way I do. It's because of the way you think. This is saying that Abraham was not mindful of Ur of the Chaldees. He received a word from God and Abraham was so focused on what God told him to do, he never thought about going back. He never thought, what if? He burned his bridges behind him. There was no such thing as going back. So you could say it this way, that because Abraham wasn't mindful and didn't think on these things, Abraham wasn't even tempted to disobey God. Well, I could be a great man of God if I was never tempted. Most people think temptation is just inevitable and that it's just a part of life that you're constantly being tempted. You are being tempted because of what you stay your mind upon. If you would control your thoughts, which goes along perfectly with what I was teaching this morning, if we would just use the Word of God and if we were meditating in the Word, the Word of God would direct your thoughts and your thoughts would be so stayed upon God, you can't be tempted with something that you can't think. Now that is one awesome truth. You can't be tempted with something that you don't think. The reason many people are so tempted is because their mind is in the gutter. We let the sewage of this world flow through us. We watch the same junk that the unbelievers watch. We read the same newspapers that the unbelievers read. We listen to the same reports, garbage in, the sewage of the world flows through us. And then we wonder, why is it that I'm tempted to be fearful and to be depressed? I tell you what, there's a lot of depressing things going on in this world. And if you look at all of the depressing things in this world, it's going to gender, conceive, discouragement and depression. And ultimately that's going to lead to you acting out and doing something wrong. You need to change the way you think. You cannot be tempted with something that you can't think. That's the reason that Romans chapter 16, I believe it's verse 19 The Apostle Paul was speaking and he says, I would have you to be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning evil. The word simple, there's a word we get simpleton from, retarded. The Lord says, I want you to be wise concerning that which is good and retarded, stupid when it comes to evil. Most people, it's just the opposite. Like say, for instance, if the doctor tells you that you've got a problem, you know what the average person does? You want to go read all about it. You want to learn as much about this disease as you can. You want to learn every symptom. You just get all of these things. You pile up unbelief over here this high. And after you analyze everything and there's no way the doctor says you're going to die, there is no cure. You say, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And then you start trying to believe and you say, why is it so hard? Because you got all of this mountain of unbelief that you've been thinking on and you're going to be tempted with the fear and the unbelief associated with all of the stuff that you've heard. God says, be wise concerning what is good and simple concerning that which is evil. Romans 8, 6 says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Think on the word of God and all you'll get tempted with is word of God. Results. Faith, joy, happiness, peace, prosperity, deliverance. I know some of you are thinking I'm overemphasizing this. You're thinking it's not as simple as this. There's things that happened to me that I didn't think about it. I I wasn't thinking about cancer and I got it. No, but you know what? You were thinking things such as, I'm only human, singing stupid songs like, Lord, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. I'm only human. I'm just a man. Help me, Jesus. Lord, you know if you're looking below, it's worse now than then. What a stupid, stupid song. It's got a real catchy tune, but that is one stupid song. 
I'm not only human. I'm not only a man. And if you, all of a sudden, cancer knocks on your door and you fall apart like a $2 suitcase, you haven't necessarily been thinking on cancer, but you've been thinking, I'm only human. You've been thinking that cancer's terrible. You've listened to other people. and It's your thinking that allowed you to be overcome by cancer. Cancer can't come into you without you accepting it. Satan can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. I know most of you don't believe that. Well, it's the reason you don't get my results. I hadn't been sick in 36 years, hadn't had a cold, hadn't had an aspirin, hadn't had a headache. I don't get sick. I don't believe in getting sick. I'm not going to be sick. Some of you think, some of you think, oh, you can't live that way. Well, don't wake me up. It's working for me. Praise God. Seen my son raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. I've seen blind eyes open. We saw blind eye open tonight. Deaf ears open. We're seeing miracles happen. Until you get to where you're getting better results, maybe you ought to consider that you're wrong. I'm telling you, what you think on determines what you're going to get. And many of you just allow the junk of the world to flow through you. You don't exercise any control over your thoughts, but you want the same results, but you aren't going to think right. You're going to watch as the stomach turns on television and all of this junk and then wonder why you don't get the right results. If you aren't mindful of unbelief in things, you can't do it. You can't go anywhere that your mind hasn't gone first. It's just like if you were in a cave or in a mine. You can't just walk through rock, walk through dirt. You've got to hollow a place out. You've got to dig a place out and then go occupy it. You can't go anywhere that you haven't already been in your mind. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. If you can't think it, you can't do it. You've got to see it on the inside before you'll ever see it come to pass on the outside. You know, here's an example of what I'm talking about. I was raised in a Christian home. I got born again when I was eight years old. I've never rebelled at God. I've always sought God. And anyway, as a result of this, I just had a heart for God. I've always been seeking God and loving God. And I'm sure that I heard about homosexuality, prostitution, sexual immorality, all kinds of weirdness that uh, people have been exposed to, but it just wasn't for me, so I didn't think about it. And anyway, when I got turned on to the Lord, right after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, my mother took me on a trip that went through uh, all of Europe, and we were on a... uh, youth trip that went to Bern, Switzerland, where Billy Graham was holding some meetings, and we toured all of Europe and did all these things. But anyway, here I was, a hick from Texas in New York City, starting on this thing, and I was just gobsmacked, is what they call it in England. Uh, Gob is your mouth, and gobsmacked is like... You just, my mouth was just, oh, I was looking at all this stuff. I didn't have any idea that people had ever lived like this. And I was just shocked. And so anyway, here I was, 18 years old. I was walking the streets of New York at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I guess I'd heard about gangs, but I just didn't register with me. And so I was going down these alleys, and I'd find gangs in the alleys at 2 and 3 in the morning. And I'd think, man, this is awesome. And I'd walk up and pass them all out tracks, and I'd go to preaching to them. And these guys were just so shocked. Nobody touched me. Nobody did a thing. I was just preaching to all of these gangs. And uh, I remember on 42nd and Broadway, there was probably a hundred prostitutes lined up along a wall about the length of this right here. And they were all lined up along this wall. I didn't know that women did stuff like that for a living. That didn't dawn on me. I thought, this is great. And I went down the road, passing them all out tracks. And I got them all together and I just preached to them. Man, I was telling them all about the Lord and how much God loved them. And people were just looking at me strange. And anyway, this guy who was a pimp came up to me and he tried to sell me one of his girls. And I didn't know the language. I didn't know what he was talking about. He just, 
he was using all these words that I'd never heard. I didn't think like that. And anyway, this guy tried for 20 minutes to get me to buy one of his prostitutes. And I didn't even know what he was talking about. I was so naive. It was just unbelievable. And so anyway, this guy, I remember him just walking off and throwing his hands up like this and walking off from me. And I went back to the hotel and told the guys that I was staying with what this guy said. And they had to explain to me what he was trying to do. And then I was embarrassed. But here's my point. Guess what? I wasn't tempted. It was zero temptation to me because I didn't know enough to sin. I wasn't tempted. Do you know the average person today, you put them in that situation, they know exactly what they're talking about. They've been there. They've thought about it. They've watched movies. They've looked at uh, pornography. They've done things. And because of it, they've got a desire and a lust. And man, it's just like sticking fire to a, you know, gasoline. And all of a sudden the temptation overwhelms them and they wonder, why did this happen? I didn't want to do it. It happened because you have already conceived it. You had already thought it. You can't do something that you can't think. I was pastoring a church. I was on radio and a man from Salt Lake City called me and he says, he says, I'm sorry to bother you, but he said, I'm dealing with some sexual problems. And he was, he was in all kinds of weird, weird Weird stuff. And uh, he says, I'm so embarrassed over this. I couldn't even tell my pastor. I didn't want to let him know. So I thought I'd call you. And he started telling me all of the stuff that he was into and what he was doing. And, and uh, anyway, he, as he was telling me, he got embarrassed. And he said, well, I, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have to explain. You, you are a single guy. You know what I'm talking about. And I had to tell this guy, I said, fella, I was married and had two children before I knew that anybody did the stuff that you're talking about. I said, I didn't know that people could think the way. I didn't know that it was even an option, the stuff that you're talking about. I know some of you think I'm weird, but you know what? I think you're weird. I think you're weird for knowing about chains and whips and... All of this junk, it's just perverse. What are you doing thinking about that kind of stuff? You shouldn't have ever been exposed to it. You're supposed to be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. Brothers and sisters, you just don't realize how powerful it is to get your mind stayed on God and then all you can be tempted with is what you're thinking about God. You can't go someplace that you haven't already been in your mind. If your mind would not wander into things, the moment you see your mind beginning to think things that are not right, forget it. I remember going to a high school reunion. It seems like it was my 15th or 20th year high school reunion. And I remember at this high school reunion, I was talking to some guys and they were doing different things. And anyway, they got to talking about, you know, there's my old girlfriend. I wonder what would have happened if I would have married them. And they started talking about that. And because I was talking to these guys, you know, I started looking around and thinking, I wonder what would have happened. And all of a sudden I realized, I don't want where this is going. This is not a godly thought. I know that God put Jamie and me together. I don't want this. And so, you know what I said? I'm not going there. If I don't go there with my mind, I can never go there with my body. And I remember just having a thought come to me and saying, that's not for me. I'm not thinking that way. Amen or oh me. How many of you have had a problem in your marriage or something and then you go to thinking, I wonder what would have happened if I'd have married so and so. I you know what? Don't go there. That's wrong. You can control your thoughts. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The weapons that God gave us, and it's talking about warfare, the weapons of our warfare. People want to talk about warfare today, and they want to get out here and bind demons and rebuke demons and do all of these things, but they don't want to control their thoughts. 
They'd, they'll spend hours doing spiritual warfare and then wash it down with five hours of junk on television. You know what? There is spiritual warfare, but the warfare is right between your ears. It's thoughts. Satan can't do anything to you unless he convinces you and gets you to start thinking his thoughts. He can't kill you if you don't think death. If you don't think that, well, I'm only mortal and after all, you know, and instead of thinking about who you are in Christ and that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, if he can't get you off of the Word of God, he can't defeat you. Satan can't do anything to you without getting you, first of all, to buy into his lies. And so our weapons are to take captive every thought and bring it into obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can keep your mind stayed upon God. And then Isaiah 26, 3 says the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. If you aren't in perfect peace, your mind isn't stayed on God. Is that too uh, complicated? Anybody miss that? Was it too subtle? If you don't have perfect peace, your mind's not stayed on God. And somebody's saying, well, but this happened to me. No, it didn't say If you'll keep your mind stayed on God, you'll have perfect peace unless this happens to you. It just says you'll have perfect peace. Well, but you don't understand. My hormones are out of whack. No, that doesn't work either. You keep your mind stayed on God and your hormones will straighten up. I do believe in such thing as chemical imbalances, but I don't believe that that's what causes problems. It's a result of wrong thinking. Your body will get out of whack. You can get into fear and your hair turn white overnight like Mary Queen of Scots before she was beheaded. A red-headed woman turned totally white-headed because of fear and it physically affected her body. Your thoughts can change your body. It can cause wrinkles. You've seen people that have been uh, drunks or alcoholics or something and it affects their body the way they think. You can see things about them. I do believe that your body can be affected, but it is not chemical imbalance that causes you to have emotional problems. It's wrong thinking that causes you to have wrong uh, emotions, wrong chemicals that causes all these other things. And so what do you do? Take a pill and be doped up the rest of your life? Simplest answer is just go to the gospel, start thinking on the word of God, straighten your thinking out, and everything else will straighten out. You don't have to have all of this. You know, I prayed with a dozen people out here tonight who had problems in their body and were dying from uh, problems that medicine caused. I bet bet you there was a dozen people that said, this lady who was blind, it was because of medicine that she took. Another lady was uh, crippled because of medicine that she took. I told them to take their medicine and flush it down the toilet and apologize to the toilet. I'm not telling you to quit your medicine because if you don't have faith and you quit your medicine, you can have serious problems. You need to use wisdom. But I'm saying that medicine just masks and treats symptoms. The root of everything is the way you think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. It says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. And then verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world. The word conformed there means to pour into the mold. Don't get poured into the mold. Did you know that none of us exit this life the same as we came in? Life is a fire. Life is going to melt you. You can't stay the same. You are going to be melted, but... You get to pick what mold you get poured into. Don't be conformed to the image of this world. Don't be poured into the mold of this world. How do you keep from doing that? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how your life changes. As your thoughts go, that's the way that your life goes. If you are defeated, it's because you are thinking defeated. You aren't thinking what the Word of God promises you. You aren't thinking on the promises of God and the goodness of God. You're thinking on the negative stuff. You're thinking like the world thinks. You're thinking like an unbeliever. You're approaching your problem as if you weren't saved, as if you weren't filled with the Holy Spirit, as if God isn't on your side. And because of that, there's hopelessness. 
you're going to have to change the way you think. Faith works by the way you think. Faith is based on knowledge. Wrong knowledge, wrong faith. Unbelief is just a wrong, perverted knowledge. A person that believes that they're going to fail, that's just because they've been thinking a certain way and they are, their faith is now working against them instead of for them. Unbelief is nothing but faith in a negative direction. You can change your entire life by the way you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform in the Greek is metamorpho. It's the word we get metamorphosis from. If you want to be like a worm that becomes a beautiful uh, butterfly, if you want to transform, be uh, you know metamorphosis like that, the way you do it is by the renewing of your mind. If your life is messed up, I can guarantee you your thinking is messed up more. That's just so simple. You've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. And if this is true, then all you've got to do is start taking the Word of God and meditating in it and seeing yourself the way that God sees you and start thinking about it. And you'll find out that some of the things that are tempting you will literally just fall by the wayside because you have, you have to feed the devil. You have to feed lust. You have to feed fear. You have to feed hatred. You have to feed all of this negative stuff. That's the reason that if you take a group of people and put a, you know, take them to a church camp and take a group of kids, you'll see people that'll never respond to God any other way. And at a church camp, they'll all of a sudden get touched by God. And then it doesn't usually last because what they do is they go back into the same circumstances, the same environment they came out of and they lose it. But you know what was happening? You literally starved the devil out of them. Four days without television, TV, newspapers, junk, you'll start all of a sudden being open to things that you aren't open to before. Three days of a meeting like this. Some of you have been here and you know what? You're going to go home and you're going to be different. You're going to see things differently. You're going to think differently. And you're just thinking that, man, that was awesome. I've got to follow Andrew wherever he goes. Nope, it's not me. It's just the fact that you've been sitting under the Word. We've been focusing your attention on the Lord. And if you would adopt the same thing and get to where you take like Charlie and Jill's tapes and, and teaching tapes and just meditate in the Word and create an atmosphere. Man, with CD players, tape players today, there's no excuse for us living the way that we do. We can create... Man, you can go back and live this conference over again. It doesn't take very long. Two or three days saturated in the presence of God. And you know what? Your old hard heart will begin to start changing. You'll start hearing the voice of God. Hope will start coming to you. Joy will start rising on the inside of you. Depression will flee. It's not hard. If you are depressed, you are thinking on depressing things. And somebody say, well, I've got a lot of depressing things. Well, don't all of us. You know, I've got things right now, I'm not going to tell you what they are, but if I was to tell you some of the things that are going on in my life and tell you some of the things that have happened to me, most of you would feel sorry for me. I could make you feel sorry for me. I've got more problems than most of you have ever thought about having. But you know what? I don't focus on them. And I've seen the Lord deliver me so many times. I know He's going to deliver me now, and I know things are going to work, and I tend to focus on the answer. When my son died, I gave that testimony. You know what? I could have sat there and have thought about, well, what's... You know, what's this going to be? And I could have let depression and sorrow and grief overwhelm me, but I just decided, praise God, I'm going to praise God. And I started praising God and shouting and worshiping God. And because of it, he was raised from the dead. I've been through hard times. You don't have an excuse. You don't have a justification for your defeat. I know some of you are really offended at this because that's a defense that you have. I can't help it. Look what's happened to me. You just need to pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up and get over it. You know, I go to Charlotte, North Carolina every year. I've been going there for about 16 years. I'll be there in September. And there's a partner of mine in Charlotte that owns a business. And every time I go there, he invites me in to speak to his people. And I, and I don't know how long, seven, eight years ago, I went and spoke. And the Lord just spoke through me. It was powerful. I went back into a break room and seven out of his 30-something employees got born again. We started seeing miracles happen. And there was this one woman who came back who was in her fourth marriage 
She had tried to kill herself the day before I got there, had slipped both wrists, had to go into the hospital, had attempted suicide. This woman was poor. She was miserable. She was depressed and all these things. And so after I talked, she came back into the break area when it came her turn. And she started crying and she says, I'm not a Christian like you and Chip, the owner of this business. But she says, I know that prayer works and would you please pray and ask God to help me not lose this marriage. I'm facing my fourth divorce. My husband just told me he's going to divorce me and I can't live. And she started crying and she said, would you please pray that my husband won't divorce me? And so I looked at this woman. I said, now, let me make sure I've heard this right. I said, you aren't a Christian and you know that you aren't a Christian. And she said, that's right. I said, if you were to die right this moment, you'd go to hell. And she said, that's right. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage and not pray for your salvation? And she started crying, oh, yes, it's true. And I said, lady, I said, do you realize that after you burned in hell for a thousand years, you won't give a rip whether this marriage worked or not? I said, who cares about your marriage? I said, you need to be born again. And it's just like I slapped this woman. All of a sudden, she just stopped and looked at me, and she says, you're right. I need to be saved. And I prayed with her and she got born again. And then I ministered to her and prayed with her about her marriage. But here's my point. See, some people say, well, if you're going through a divorce, you can't be rejoicing. Then you, you can't help but think negative thoughts. Why not? Marriage is just temporary. It's only for this life. You don't have marriage in heaven. The Lord said in heaven, they neither marry nor are given to marriage. So if nothing else, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus. This is just temporary, amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to have to deal with this throughout all eternity. Thank you that in heaven we don't have marriage. Hallelujah. Go to praising God for that. Or you can look at it this way. The Lord says, I'll never divorce you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Everybody else may forsake you, but I never will. And you know what? You could say, Father, you know what? I probably deserve some of this. Some of it at least is my fault. Thank you that you're never going to divorce me. And you can go to praising God. You could praise God if you're going through a divorce, if you'll think properly. A divorce isn't the end of everything. There's people that have been divorced and survived it and still love God. I know some of you really dislike this. You get great solace out of your pity parties. Man, you look forward to them. You send out all of your invitations and every demon in the county is assembled for you to have your pity party and you just love it. But I'm telling you, it'll kill you. I remember when I pastored a little church in Pritchett, Colorado, we saw a man raised from the dead in that place and because of it, there's only 100 people in the town. I mean, 144 people, but we had 100 coming to church. And it was awesome. We saw some great things happen, but the people hated me. And within six months, they were telling people I was committing adultery, stealing money from the church, getting drunk, doing dope. There were rumors flying, and it was just bad. And anyway, one night, I was waiting on Jamie and the boys to go to bed, and then I was going to have a pity party. I'd sent out my invitations. All the demons had had assembled. And I was just waiting on them to go to bed. Now I was going to go down and God, it's not fair. I gave up everything I had to come to this dippy little town of 144 people. And it's not fair. And I was just going to really complain. And anyway, while I was waiting on Jamie and the boys to go to sleep so I could have my pity party in peace. I started thinking about things and all of a sudden the scripture came to me about the fruit of the spirits, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The Lord started speaking to me that you know in your heart, your heart, your spirit man isn't depressed. Your spirit man's not discouraged. It's got love, joy, and peace. And are you going to go by what's in the spirit or are you going to indulge this flesh and these emotions? And you know what? At first I thought, oh God, don't remind me of this. It, It would feel good to gripe. But you know what? By the time I got ready for it, I knew what the truth was. And I got in our basement and I started shouting and praising God and thinking about the fact that I'm born again. And I don't care if everybody hates me. God Almighty loves me. He carries my picture in his wallet. Man, God thinks I'm awesome. And I got to meditating and praising God. And you know, instead of a pity party, I just started rejoicing and praising God. You can do it. 
Now, I know some of you think, oh, I can't do it. You don't know what's happened. No, you don't know what's happened. You don't know how good God is. You don't know how awesome God is. If worse comes to worse and you die, so what? You're going to go directly into the presence of God. We sing about it when we all get to heaven and then the doctor tells you you're going there and you start crying. You know, something's wrong with this picture. It's reality. We're all, you know, all of us are going to die. We're just in varying stages of death. And we're all going to be with the Lord. If worse comes to worse, you're going to be ushered right into the presence of God where there'll be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death, no more poverty, no more problems. Man, it's awesome. You can't lose for winning. If you win, you win. If you lose, you win. You can't lose for winning. If you begin to start thinking right, you know what? There is no reason for any of you to be upset over anything. So what if somebody rejects you? God loves you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Take solace in that. Comfort yourself in the fact that God loves you. But this person's treated me wrong. Man, Paul got to a place where he gloried in the sufferings of Christ. He says, I long for to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Some of you haven't ever gotten there, but you can get to a place to where when people reject you, you go to the Lord and God's comfort is so awesome, it nearly makes you wish people would reject you so God can comfort you. You know what? There's just nothing in life. There is no problem that can come your way. No sickness, no poverty, no oppression, no fear. Nothing that can happen that God hasn't already provided the answer before you ever had the problem. The Lord supplied your need 2,000 years ago before you were ever born, before your problem ever existed. Nothing is going to catch God by surprise. Everything is taken care of. You hadn't got any reason to be griping or complaining. That's the reason the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Always. It says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, it's either 1 or 2 Peter 1, 8, it says, but believing we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you're in faith, you're rejoicing. If you aren't rejoicing, you aren't in faith. Oh, but no, I do have faith. It's just that you don't know what happened. Well, if you were thinking about it properly, you'd be rejoicing. They told me I'm going to die. That's a good reason to rejoice. Either you get to go to be with the Lord, and man, that's what is better for all of us. Or if you get healed, you get to rub the devil's nose in it and make a great testimony out of it. Take the very thing that Satan meant for evil and turn it together for good. You can't lose for winning. You're a winner. God's for you. Who can be against you? Nobody can successfully be against you. Brothers and sisters, there's not a lack of provision on God's part. You know what it is? We are so negative. Negative, negative, negative. Our world is negative. The news is negative. Everything is negative. They don't report on the 100,000 planes that land safely. They report on the one that crashed. They don't talk about the beautiful weather. They talk about all of the bad weather. They don't talk about anything good. Nothing good makes headlines. It's all negative. It's wrong. And if you're plugged into this world, you are going to be negative. You're going to be one miserable, defeated, discouraged person. But the Word of God will make your heart rejoice. God will build a positive vision on the inside of you. You don't have to be that way. The reason Abraham was able to obtain his miracle is because he was not mindful of anything but God's promise. God gave him an illustration. It says, if you can count the stars in the sky or count the grains of sand on the seashore, so shall your seed be. And for 20-something years, every day he looked up and saw the stars. Every day he had sand on his feet. And 24 hours a day, 20... Uh, Every day of the year, he was thinking about so shall my seed be, so shall my seed be. So much so that in Romans chapter 4, it says that when God finally came and says, this time in the next year, you're going to have a child. He was 100 years old and his wife was 90 years old. Let me ask you, if somebody came to you and if you were 100 years old and said, you're going to have a child, what would you do? 
Most of you would say, no way, you wouldn't even acknowledge it. But even if you had the slightest little bit of faith, here's what most people would do. They'd go get checked out by the doctor. Is it so? Can I really have a child? Or then they'd get on the internet and they'd look it up and see what the oldest person is that ever had a child. And they would do, and they would amass all of this unbelief and think about all of these wrong things. And then they say, God, are you sure that this is true? And he says, yes. And so they say, all right, I'm going to believe you. And then they wonder, why is it that I'm not able to, why is it that I'm struggling? It's because you got all of this unbelief. You were mindful of things contrary to what God said. But the scripture says in Romans chapter four, verse 18, it says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. He considered not his own body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. The scripture says he considered not. The word consider means to think, ponder, deliberate, examine, or meditate upon. Abraham didn't think about his age. He thought about the faithfulness of God and God's promise and not the negatives. And if you take all of these things and put it with Hebrews 11, 15, that if he had been mindful of the country he came out of, he might have had opportunity to return. His opportunity for temptation, for unbelief, was linked to what he thought. You can't be tempted with what you don't think. Plug that back into Romans chapter 4 and you can say it this way. That because Abraham did not consider his own body now dead. He wasn't thinking about himself. Abraham wasn't tempted to disbelieve God because he wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on God. You could be a great person of faith if you weren't tempted to disbelieve. How is it that you stop this temptation? You quit thinking on all of the things that gender it, that conceive it, Get your mind stayed upon God and the Lord will keep you in perfect peace. He'll keep you happy and encouraged. And you'll be able to say sometime, it's been 36 years since I've been depressed. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be discouraged. That's your choice. There's nothing physical that makes you do that. It's the way you think. And the reason we come into discouragement and depression and fear and all of these things is because we think so incorrectly. The antidote to that's the Word of God. You take God's Word and meditate on it, and I guarantee you, it'll make you positive. The Word of God will give wisdom to the simple. It'll make you wise. It'll change the way you live. Amen or oh me. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you got what I was trying to say tonight. If you could understand this and recognize that any failure in your life, if you keep tracing it back far enough, it's going to come back to negative thinking. You have not been dominating yourself with the Word of God. If you believe that, then take whatever your problem is, find the scriptures that are the antidote for it, that change it, and go to meditating on those, and this problem will change. If it's physical... Healing that you need, think on the scriptures that promise healing and it'll produce health to all of your flesh and life to those that find them. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all of their destructions. That's the way it works. We're going to lay hands on you and pray for you to help you, but you know what? The long-term solution isn't somebody waving their hand over you. It's you taking the word and planting that seed and beginning to think right. And if you'll think right, all you'll get is life and peace. If you've been depressed and discouraged, what you need to do is start taking the positive truth of God's Word and looking at those things. And it'll build you up and it'll make your heart rejoice. It'll convert your soul. It'll change you. Meditate on the Word of God. You know, in a sense, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I love you and I'm here to minister to you and I'm glad to minister to you. And we got all of these people we want to minister to you. But you know, the average Christian is trying to bootleg the gospel. Instead of you doing it yourself, instead of you taking the Word of God, instead of you meditating on it, you just want somebody to come to town that's going to wave their hand over you and get you healed so that you can continue to watch as the stomach turns and unbelief and doubt and all of this kind of stuff. 
and you don't have to change. You just get it off of my faith. Well, I'm here to help you. And I don't mind helping you, but I'm telling you, you can't wait on somebody else to come to town. You know, the only reason I have any input in your life is because I've spent 36 years seeking God and meditating in the Word, and the Word of God has changed my life. And some of you, you know, you're, you're starting late in life. You've already got a bad report. you only got a week to live. Well, I'm here to help you, and I'll pray with you. But there are some of you that it's just lazy. It's because you aren't seeking the Lord. It's because you don't put the Word of God in your life, and you're wondering why you have problems. I'm telling you the answer, and it's just real simple. Start meditating on the Word of God day and night. Change the way you think, and you'll change your experience. Your life goes the direction of your dominant thought. If you don't like the way your life is going, change your dominant thought. And you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how simple it is. Isn't that good news? Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit takes these words.